This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Tools for Trails, caring for people who care for trails. They provide a wide variety of quality trail building tools and accessories that are field tested and industry proven. With their extensive experience operating machines in the field, Tools for Trails is now offering quick attach hangers for Kubota U17 model excavators. Their hangers are durable and easy to install and are made in their own backyard right in Grand Junction, Colorado. So visit toolsfortrails.com to learn more and treat your excavator to some TLC. You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. I'd like to start this episode by stating something that I feel should be obvious. Black lives matter. And I debated making that the focus of this episode. This podcast began with a dive into the topic of diversity. And I suggest listening to episodes four, six, and seven if you haven't. And I've been impressed with major brands for what they've been doing on social media this week, including Imba US specialized in pink bike for not staying silent. It's better late than never. But what happens next is more important. We can say diversity in this sport is important, but we need to show that. And for me, I've always believed that trail days are a low barrier way of introducing people to our sport. Now with COVID-19, those trail days have been put on hold. But as some of our communities begin to open back up, we might have an opportunity to get out there with folks who want to come out and help dig. There's no denying that trail days this year, and maybe even the next few years, will look different. The most important thing is that we do them safe, and we respect everyone that's out there. And so that's why I've decided to stick with my original topic. I feel like you probably know where this podcast stands on the issue of inclusivity and diversity. So let's figure out how we can continue to do what we do, but for more people. I'm your host, Brian Hillier. This is episode 79 of Frontlines. I'm joined by three guests. The first is Bill Hoyne. He's the safety lead with the Greater Bragg Creek Trails Association in Alberta, Canada. Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. And next we have Tony Ferlisi. He's returning. He's the executive director of Mountain Bike the Tetons in Driggs, Idaho. Hi, Tony. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. And last, we have Will Tagan. He's the president of the Chugach Mountain Bike Riders from the Chugiak Eagle River community in Alaska. Hey, Will. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I think it's important to, to recognize that, that all of us are, are living in various places. Uh, we have different guidelines set up by our municipalities, states, provinces, and, and even countries. But for the most part, how we plan to operate with COVID-19 in mind, I think will, will be relatively similar. Before we dive into the future, let's start with a, a brief introduction of, of each of your various organizations, communities. You know, what, What's your membership look like? What's the scope and, and mission within the communities that you are? Go for it, Bill. Okay, I'm part of the Greater Bright Creek Trails Association, and we're a, uh, a small hamlet of uh, uh, the hamlet itself has only got a few hundred people, but uh, in the surrounding areas, a couple thousand people. And we're about uh, 50 kilometers or 30 miles southwest of Calgary, a city of like 1.2 million people. 
Blind Creek has been a sort of a popular quote unquote tourist destination that's always had uh, outdoor activities. We're in the uh, foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So there's always been lots of trails and horseback riding and, and other activities here for generations. But uh, in the early 2000s, a little after that, uh, when mountain biking became a little bit more popular, and as well as cross-country skiing, our community sort of uh, overtook uh, a bunch of uh, old logging roads and seismic roads and converted them into cross-country ski trails and eventually early mountain bike trails. And a number of years ago, we uh, got a bit more, quite a bit more serious about it and started building IMBA standard uh, uh, single track trails. And we've got about 190 to 100 kilometers of that in, our, quite in, in the area that we're responsible for. And there's probably at least two or three times that in the uh, uh, west of here and up towards the Canmore area. In the uh, wintertime, we groom about 50 kilometers of ski trails, uh, 50 kilometers of fat bike trails. And in the uh, summertime, we fix all those trails and try to get them ready for the next season and keep on top of our uh, single track stuff. Awesome. Uh, now, Tony, tell us a little bit about the Mountain Bike the Tetons. Sure, sure. Yeah, so Mountain Bike the Tetons, uh, we're located in Teton Valley, Idaho. So Driggs, uh, Driggs and Victor area of Idaho, just on the west side of the Teton Range right outside of Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. And our organization, we were founded back in 2013. And uh, we were founded as, as kind of the IMBO local chapter for the Teton region. So we actually do work uh, in both Idaho and Wyoming on both the east and west sides of the Teton. So we do some work in Jackson Hole. Yeah, our, our organization is, uh, is focused on trails. We you know, we have a pretty short riding season here uh, on dry dirt that spans from, you know, early May until the snow flies and sticks consistently, typically in October or so. And uh, during those months, we, we employ a, you know, four-person uh, full-time seasonal trail crew. Um, and those folks maintain about 130 miles of, of uh, front country and back country trails uh, in our area. And we also have a kids program in the summer too. Um, we teach six to 11 year old kiddos, you know, everything from how to mountain bike to, uh, how to be a good steward on your trails and how trail tools work and, and what being a volunteer is all about. So we kind of cover the spectrum. And right now in early June, we're starting to come into our you know prime riding season. And Will, uh, what about the Chugach mountain bike riders? So we are a little tiny brand new volunteer led club uh, here in South Central Alaska. We're about oh, 20 miles north of Anchorage and then south of the Manaduska-Susitna Valley. Both of those communities are larger than we are and they both have um, established mountain bike clubs. And we, we do a lot of stuff together uh not so much in in our actual programming but just in um kind of policy and and coordination on sharing information and so we're a little tiny club our annual budget is five thousand to ten thousand dollars uh, all volunteer we've got a core group of about a, a dozen volunteers and we've built uh five miles of 
nice flowy single track in a, in a municipal park. Uh, we also have partnered with the local um, middle school that's been running a uh, 6th through 8th grade mountain bike program kind of on dirt roads for the past 20 years with one of the, the coaches there. Um, and then, yeah, we're offering winter races, summer races. Um, we've got a youth program starting up here, and we're trying to do all this while being safe during this current pandemic. Yeah. And, and on that note, so with regards to, to COVID-19 and, and trail days and, and programs, uh, have, have any of you hosted a trail day yet this summer? We, we have uh, started our trail operations here probably about a week, uh, two weeks ago, but on a very limited uh, basis. We have a couple of uh, core volunteers who sort of demoed, you know, our processes to see how it works and, um, you know, see what the pros and cons of it are. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, up here in Alaska, we were basically shut down and not permitted to host public events by uh, both the uh, the city of Anchorage um, and by the state of Alaska. And as those entities have opened, they have actually come out with very specific guidelines for us. And um, we were granted permits to host, um, you know, gatherings and activities just this week. Um, and we had to, you know, submit plans and research everything on what their requirements were. But it's been very helpful for us because they are telling us what we have to do because uh, there's a lot of concern about liability um, and safety. So what we did earlier in the season is we basically started a uh, Adopt-A-Trail program with our existing volunteers and kind of word of mouth, a little Facebook, a little bit of email, um, folks who kind of knew what they were doing. We just said, here's your section. Uh, we actually had some new folks come out and join with them, but it was all just very small groups of, you know, maybe three people at a time. Um, and we were able to get all of our spring maintenance done just, but not hosting a public you know, large trail day, which, which we normally would do, you know, we'd get the local bike shop to sponsor it. Everyone comes out, you know, barbecue and we've got 50 people and we get half the trail system done. Um, this was really just like, Hey, please go out and help. And, and, and it worked. Tony, what about you? Yeah. Uh, really similar to, to Will the trail crew. Uh, my trail crew started uh, a couple of weeks ago and there's just four of them. And they're out, they're not using, we have a trail crew truck uh, that we use to, you know, those guys use to, to move around the valley to all the, all their spots. And um, I just asked that they kind of sit tight with use on that uh, for the time being. But uh, as far as volunteer days go, we are going to actually be hosting our first one next Monday um, on the 15th. And yeah, it, we had planned, you know, before pre-COVID to, to host one in May to kind of kick things off. But given what the guidelines were for the state of Idaho um, and then our local Teton County and municipal guidelines where we decided, you know, this is pretty easy. We'll just push this back. You know, for the trail, for the trail days moving forward, um, the way we've kind of set things out, you know, typically as our, you know, Will's trails, trail days, 
you know, we've got a barbecue and we do, you know, everybody gets a raffle ticket and we give stuff away. And it's, it's almost more just a social gathering than it is to knock out some big projects. And Mm -hmm. those things will go away um, this year, unfortunately. Um, But the response to the fact that we're still going to be hosting these uh, has been overwhelmingly positive uh, because folks are just dying to get out there and, and do something right now. And so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but, you know, and we've got a pretty solid contingency plan for safety moving forward that the forest service, the U S forest service, um, the Teton basin ranger district here asked us to put together before they would, um, kind of approve, uh, our permits for this year. Um, and so we got that along to them, they okayed it. And so we're able to, we're able to move forward. Uh, but we'll see. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm anxious to to get out there with with the folks. Yeah, I, I have not run any trail days yet. Although I have done a couple of uh, of courses in my day job. I I lead like backpacking courses and and wilderness survival courses. And one of the things that that I have been doing, and I suspect this is probably something that's going to happen with trail days as well, is kind of a, a declaration of health from all the participants and. You know, that can include, you know, have you been traveling outside of the province or state or country? Do you know anybody who's had COVID-19 in the last 14 days? Or do you have any reason to believe that you've had COVID-19 in, in the last 14 days? Uh, but the the big one is, are you currently experiencing any COVID-19 symptoms and fever, cough, respiratory issues, sore throat, etc.? You know, I think that's something that I would assume that each of us are going to be including when we have that little waiver spiel at the the top of any trail day. But when it comes to and and this might be a question more for for Bill and and Tony, but you know, when when you've got staff, paid staff, that can be a little bit more challenging. I know as somebody that, you know, when I get sick, I normally kind of plow through that and go to work anyways. And that's something that's going to have to shift with the culture. Is that a conversation that you've had with paid trail crew about, hey, if you're feeling sick, you got to let us know and, and we'll come up with a, an alternative? Oh, absolutely. We discussed this many times. Trails don't have to be done. You know, I mean, this is not an essential activity. So if you're feeling under the weather for whatever reason, and especially if you feel like you've got uh, COVID-19 symptoms, uh, it's uh, demanded that you leave and uh, our trail users or our trail uh, volunteers, uh, we use this program called Better Impact. So it's an online thing that you can use to sign up with. And it, it uh, will initially ask you all those uh, COVID questions. And then at our tailgate meetings, we then go through that whole process again to uh, see if anybody's uh, had any of those issues or is displaying any of those symptoms. Hmm. And if that's the case, you're done for for the day. You know, yeah, for a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. I'm really glad to hear you giving advice on a on a system to to contact trace because that is something we are required to do. Uh, but then we're also required to minimize uh, paperwork, so we're quickly scrambling for affordable online solutions for a very small um, mountain bike group that. You know, an extra hundred bucks for us is something that we we can afford, but we'd rather you know put it into volunteers than to mm-hmm. than to into uh, our administrative costs. You know, right now we've been using Eventbrite because they've got free event signups. 
Does Eventbrite allow you to kind of customize fields to include some COVID-19 questions or are they just adding perhaps they're adjusting what they're doing on their end as well? I haven't done it this time around, but in the past we you're able to have optional fields that we put waivers under. Um, but we've been a little worried about the legality of putting a waiver just as a checkbox. And so we're actually, once again, looking at another online solution. Um, waiver sign is what the local groups use around here. You know, it's 10 bucks a month up to 100 waivers. I'm sure there's other, you know, once again, if other people have other ideas, I'd, I'd love to know it. And because that is a company that specifically, you know, guarantees that their waivers are legal and they help you set them up. But geez, how many different websites are we going to have to manage here? To- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in here really quickly. Um, and, and yeah, go ahead, Tony. Again, kind of echo a bit of what Bill and Will both uh, mentioned, you know, with our paid staff, with the trail crew, they know getting to build trail, getting to work on trail. It's a, you know, it's a privilege that, you know, we're, we're presented with. And just like, you know, the conversation that we have, if they sustain an injury while they're out working or not working, there's no problem with them letting me know and telling me because I, I need them to be healthy. I want them to be healthy. It's, this is not the most critical piece. This is not an essential, essential business. And, uh, you know, our trail crew leader, he, it's his job to check in with the trail crew every single day um, and to touch base with those folks regarding COVID. Um, and then with regard to, you know, waivers, we manage ours. There's a, you know, you have to, you have to sign up for a trail day now on our website. We have a form and I've got the waiver on the website and you, you download the waiver. And within that, there's a clause that essentially lays all of this out. And we'll reiterate that, you know, at our tailgate meeting uh, each afternoon that we have, uh, that we have our, our volunteer days. So, I mean, that's, what's been asked of us. That's, that's what we're thinking is going to work best, at least initially. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're in a, a pretty small community here. So contact tracing, you know, we were just going to do it kind of by hand, you know, have a list of all the folks that were, that were there and, and sort of move forward with that. But there's, therein lies the paperwork issue. So I'd be curious to, to dive a little bit more into, into that. Yeah. Before we, we get to that real quick, Tony, are, so for the, the paid crew, do you, do you have sick day, like paid sick day options for them as well? Cause I know that's a big question for, for a lot of jurisdictions is, is that there aren't, that's not necessarily mandated to have paid sick days. Um, what's, what's, uh, your situation? Sure. Sure. So basically, uh, they don't have, uh, official paid sick days, but what I do have is a I have a budgeted amount of hours for each of the crew for the entire season. Yeah. If their time was significant, you know, that they needed to take off, I would, I'd, I'd compensate them for that. And they're, they're aware of that. I think that's important. I think here in Canada, it sounds like we're going to try to legislate something, which is good. But, but in the meantime, I do know a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations that have kind of stepped up to just make that happen, regardless of whether they're legally obligated to or not. So I, I think that's how we prevent people from coming into work sick is by making sure they don't have to make that decision between rent and coming in sick. So now, uh, Bill, what, um, just remind us again, what was the system that, that you guys were using for those waivers and, and that registration? Uh, we used a system called better impact. 
I believe it was created by uh, Alberta Parks, uh, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, I believe there is a, a small fee to use it. I haven't really used it very much, but it tracks hours and does a whole bunch of data collection for you so that we can get a handle on you know what kind of volunteer hours and who's volunteering and what they're doing and where they're doing it. And do you know if in Alberta, is it required to do that contact tracing as well? Uh, no, I don't believe yeah. so. Yeah, I don't, I, 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 unless this is something that, you know, is above my pay grade at the organizations that I've worked with. I don't think it's something that's required in British Columbia either, which is really interesting because I, I do think that it's, it's how we kind of nip this thing in the bud and, you know, it's proven that that's how Germany did a really good job of, of controlling their cases of COVID-19 was contact tracing. But, you know, it's an, another interesting one where all of a sudden now you're, you're tracking people and there's always privacy concerns with that as well. So it's a, it's certainly a tough one. Here in Anchorage, we're not legally required to except we are because it's our permit is on municipal um, mm. land. And so the, the municipality of Anchorage is, requiring that as part of our permit. So we have a, uh, we have a 30 day, um, 30 day uh, of contact tracing for screening logs. So a couple others of the, just the general requirements for us, uh, we want to get into the details is please do. Yeah. There's a, anyone, you know, in addition to the questions, one of the questions is no one who's been sick in the past 72 hours uh, is allowed. So, you know, typically, before this, you know, the schools would say a 24 hour uh, period of, of not being sick if you had a fever, but now it's uh, 72 hours. Um, and of course, sending people home. Um, and then the only other interesting things is they have some specific distance requirements. Um, it's supposed to be six, six feet uh, socially distanced um, and wearing masks. The mask is not a requirement from the um, municipality, the mask is just our operating requirement so we are allowed to um you know run our mountain bike program or have people work on the trails if they maintain that swing distance which it's kind of interesting to see this um it'll be interesting to see what other municipalities agree upon but it Mm -hmm. seems that as more time goes by um the recommendations are becoming more uniform across the board uh and i think that's going to be really helpful What's everybody else working with for distancing? I know here in British Columbia, we're dealing with two meters, which yes, same as six feet, but the, the, the requirement of masks, I shouldn't say requirement because it's not a requirement. It's a strong recommendation, which not everybody listens to a strong recommendation. What's it like elsewhere? We're also going with the uh, two meter distance between workers, which is, you know, when you're working on the trails, isn't uh, for the most part, isn't that, isn't that difficult. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that, you know, sometimes you've got to pick up trees and logs and, and uh, rocks and stuff like that. So we've decided that, you know, so long as you're maintaining a decent separation, you don't have to wear a mask or anything like that. But we've also noted that, you know, if you need to give someone a hand, you need to get close to them, then, uh, yeah, we're going to give everybody a mask and they'll have to wear a mask when they do those specific activities. We're hearing a lot of different kind of exceptions or cases with this, right? I know some jurisdictions are kind of saying like, this is really more of a concern indoors. Uh, Here in British Columbia, we're being told that like outside, this is not something that we have to really worry about a ton, that as long as we're sticking to two meters as best as possible, then, then it's fine. 
Um, you know, I've been pushing really hard to try to get some of our, our streets opened up a little bit more to pedestrians just locally within the municipality and trying to make the argument that like you on a one meter sidewalk, you can't provide two meters of spacing. And, and I've gotten responses back from a lot of our politicians kind of saying that like, ah, it's not as important outdoors, which is then we've got other land managers who are closing trails because they're saying you can't keep two meters of distance on these trails. So there's a lot of, a lot of different messages, mixed messaging coming from different places. Um, but then the other one is exertion. And that's an interesting one as well. You know, is there a difference between just standing around versus working really hard and trying to, to dig trail, that kind of thing? Are you, you know, are those droplets going further uh, or, or is it really, uh, are they falling straight to the ground like you would be standing still? Well, I think you'd have to look at the science and see what the science is saying. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a worker issue. That's more of a, you know, looking at transmissibility and, and what mm-hmm. science says about that kind of stuff. And, and if they can come up with studies, then we should definitely follow that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that speaks to, we don't have the science right now and hence why we're kind of getting a lot of different types of advice uh, from a lot of different groups and a lot of different land managers. It's complicated out there for sure. Sorry, I was going to add one more thing is we also have a, uh, a two bay and a three bay garage where, and a tool shed where all of our equipment uh, is stored. And we don't want um, our trail volunteers to be around that. So we have a, uh, a facilities manager uh, who is informed uh, usually the night before when we're going to do a, a trail, any trail activities, and he organizes all the equipment. So he'll get the uh, first aid equipment. Uh, we have radios, uh, tools, and all that kind of stuff, and he'll disinfect that, uh, set it outside for the trail crews to come pick up. So we don't have, we don't allow anybody other than the facilities manager to actually go inside of our, our garages. Go ahead, Will. I was trying to find the study here online, but um, I believe it was in the New York Times. They There was only one recorded transmission outdoors uh, in Wuhan, and they had determined that that was during a conversation yeah, uh, and not, you know, during outside activity. So, um, and there was some also some uh, coverage of the modeling that that uh, that modeling that went viral with the two runners and the little yeah. droplets, you know, yeah. that yeah. everyone could see like, oh, running behind someone had the droplets. And, and um, you know, there was some comment on that study as well um, on how that was just an air model. And that wasn't actually like a, a viral model and that in real conditions, it, there's so much dilution and you need, you know, the. You do need a, although it is very contagious, you do need more than one <laughs> article, mm-hmm. right, to catch it. So, um, yeah, I believe that was a New York Times article. So, of, of course, it's not primary study, but it's it's pretty um, reliable, I'd say. Distancing, I think, is going to be key with this. Uh, face masks, uh, you know, there's there's some recommendation to that. I think for the most part on trail days, we can do a really good job of of keeping a distance from each other. There's the odd task that comes to mind. I mean, I think of, uh, I've used a, a rock chain before, you know, where you roll a big giant rock into this kind of chain netting. And then, you know, I've, I've seen like 10 people <laughs> all gathered around this thing. You know, you've got arms coming in from everywhere to try to hold on to this thing, right? You've got, you know, within a, a two square meter radius or, or, or square, you've, you've got like close to eight people. <laughs> and so, you know, that's stuff that's just not going to happen, right? I think even, even with precautions like face masks, we're going to need to try to avoid that. So it's going to change a little bit, I think, to some of the, the 
projects that might get done out there. Um, are there are there tasks that you're kind of just saying like we're just not going to do this kind of stuff right now, or you know what other kind of guidelines do you have when it comes to to being out on those trail days? Yeah, we we've this is this is something we've been talking about quite a bit lately. Actually, is like what's a what's appropriate um, in order to minimize contact, and so you know we've gotten you know our first big maintenance volunteer day will be mostly uh, just hand finish work happening on the tread. And then we're going to be resurfacing uh, a bridge. And so we'll have a small group, preferably a family, is what we're hoping that can, that can work on that bridge resurfacing. It's just a small little bridge. And then everyone else, our plan is to put groups of four together and assign each group of four a number. And we've got, we'll have pin flags kind of staked out along the trail corridor with the number on it. And they'll just have to kind of stay between those pin flags over the course of the trail day to kind of work through that section. Masks we're not requiring, but we have noted that, you know, in case first aid needs to be administered, then one of our trail crew would be required to, you know, who would be required to approach that person would wear a mask and gloves. Do you require that person to to wear a mask as well? Like I know that's something that I'm having that conversation in the outdoor recreation guiding world right now, where it's not mm-hmm. just the first aider, but the the person that uh, that is hurt needs to put on a mask as well. Right. No, you know, I hadn't mentioned the requirement in any of the language, but we're suggesting mm-hmm. that everyone have a mask with them on their person yeah. um, in order yeah. to cover that base. But probably something we could be a little stronger in with regard to that. Yeah. We're requiring that if you if you have a first aid, that we're requiring that both people, both parties, wear a mask. Yeah, we were looking to um, businesses up here. Uh, bike shops are open, but they any front facing workers are required to wear a mask. And so, in order for our liability, we were um, anytime you know for our for our youth club, if a coach needs to help with a repair or you know a chain drops, both you know, the coach will have to wear a mask for that. And so we are requiring everyone to have a mask with them. Um, and honestly, it's mostly for the parking lot, you know, <laughs> when everyone's coming in and getting tools and being distributed, like once you're on the trail, like you're good, but um, it's, it's more than is required by law, but it is what's recommended. We don't want to be the ones to have the finger pointed at, you know, like you guys are the source, you're the super spreaders. And, and our board is very, very concerned about that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, maybe some in our community think that's overkill, but we, we're the ones who are liable and we want to do it right. With that, like, are we, you know, I, I like the division of people and kind of saying like, you know, it's, it's going to be much easier to, for four people to kind of manage their distances between each other than having, you know, 16 people out there trying to all stay within or stay outside of two meters of each other, six feet of each other. How are, how is like the morning going to happen though? You know, if, if you're going to have these separated parties, what is the best situation in the parking lot? Like, how do you start your day? What we've got here is as we'll have a, uh, one of our trail crew members will kind of be at the entrance to the lot and he will, fortunately with this first trail day, we've got a pretty big trailhead parking area and he'll assign, uh, the groups 
as the car pulls into the parking lot. Oh, wow. So the car will come through and he'll say, okay, you go park over there by number one. And like those first few cars will park by number one um, and so on. And so those will, that will be kind of how we assign those groups and we'll have the, the tools kind of split out for those groups immediate, like beforehand as well. So that once they get there, they park their car, they'll get a, a quick tailgate talk and then they can, they can head out from there. Cause what we want to avoid, unfortunately is, is any lingering whatsoever. As far as people coming back, we're still kind of the board and I are still trying to kind of figure out what that's going to look like, how we're going to manage people flowing back into the parking lot and getting out. But we're just going to essentially just try and have people go directly to their cars and drop the tool, go to your car and then take off. So that's how we've set it up and we'll see how it goes. But I guess we're fairly fortunate up here is that uh, a couple of years ago, uh, in a great deal of generosity, the government built us a 500 car parking lot. So, <laughs> so it's fairly easy to spread out. You're right as far as uh, if you have a larger crew, is uh, it's going to be up to the crew leader to plan their day and plan the uh, trails they plan to work on, work on and get people to spread out accordingly. I think that's going to be pretty critical to the, uh, to the early morning plan. I found it, uh, I really stuck on, um, I'm not sure who was talking about it. We'll, we'll see how it goes, <laughs> was mm-hmm. just mentioned. And I think that's where we're at right now, man. Like I, I, so what we did first is we did, you know, known volunteers, right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, literally phone calls, Facebooks, emails with people that we already had as volunteers. And then some new volunteers, we connected them directly with those people. So we did not have any large events. Now we're moving on to kind of this online sign up and saying, oh, we're going to have an event, but you have to sign in before you show up, you know? So it's, we're not even to the point where we're having the, we're having a big day just come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if we're going to get there or not this year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I'm open to it, but I don't know. Yeah. I think here for the next, uh, probably four to six weeks at least uh, we're going to keep our trail volunteers to the sort of the hardcore, hardcore group that come out regularly and keep mm-hmm. those uh, keep those numbers down to very, very manageable numbers. And I would say probably, you know, way less than 10 people at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the two things that I kind of want to wrap up with the, the first is, is, you know, hand-washing is something that, that we're being drilled on. I think after this, this pandemic, we're all going to be better at washing our hands um, for longer and, and more regularly. Um, that's, that, that is certainly a challenge outdoors. We don't have the ability to wash hands. Um, are you asking people to make sure that they're bringing hand sanitizer, that they're using it on a regular basis, like before the day, after the day, that kind of thing? I guess as as fortune would have it, uh, my daughter just got a job with a uh, company that makes uh, hand sanitizer and contact cleaner. And, uh, they were they were very generous and gave us a, a twenty liter pail that we've got now out at our maintenance compound. So we're <laughs> wow. sanitizing the crap out of everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. Nice. We're um, we typically we have a you know a big giant bucket full of work gloves for people to borrow when they come out, and from mm-hmm. now on, everyone has to supply 
their own gloves and we're we're still trying to figure out the hand sanitizer piece you know if we put a big pump out there well am i going to stand there with a mask and gloves on and give everybody you know yeah. a little bit or or what so yeah um, we yeah. started with the glove piece and and we'll go from there well i think that's where the uh the trail or, or the volunteer organizer the head of that thing it should be I, w- I want to say his responsibility to make sure that all the equipment that's going to be used is has been pre-sanitized. Right. Um, we've also got uh, we've also come up with a little idea of uh, tagging all of our tools with uh, colored tape. Uh, so you have you know everybody you know one person is going to use the blue tape, another person is going to use the red tape, another person is going to use the yellow tape tool you know tools that are stuff like that. So you don't mix tools up and uh, you don't confuse mm. about. Uh, you don't confuse what's yours and what's somebody else's. Yeah, that's a great idea. And that 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 was my last question is is how do we manage sharing of tools? And that's a great solution right there. Are you are you asking people like here's your tool, this is the only tool you're going to use for the rest of the day or you know, are you sharing tools amongst maybe little pods that are out there? How how is tool sharing working for everyone else? Uh we aren't. You have your own tools and that, and that's it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least at this, for this point in time, you know, so let's figure this out in a smaller group, uh, you know, mm-hmm. figure out how to use your tools. If we have more, uh, one of the things we do around here is grid building. Cause we have a lot of, uh, wetlands and little small streams that we need to cross, you know, at this point, if, you know, we're hoping not to have to do any of that in the early stages, but when we do, we're going to try and get our volunteers actually to show up with their own equipment, uh, cause yeah. we can't provide equipment with ev- for everybody. So yeah, we're going to try and take that as seriously as we can to uh, not get into tool sharing. Mm-hmm. Oh my, oh my gosh, you guys! I, that, I mean, I haven't even thought even thought about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's just so much, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's it's great having this discussion. It's like we're trying to do the right thing, but you know, we've got some folks on our board who are just like, just, just drop it all, you know. Like our trails are in pretty good shape. <laughs> like we. We honestly are planning a build for next year. So we don't have any, like we were going to do some small build projects this year, but I think yeah. it was just like, just, just forget it. Like, just let's just ma- do some maintenance, basic maintenance, you know, especially open up the drains, anything, any safety issues and just, you know, we got so much going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was a guest last episode that used the term hunker in the bunker, right? <laughs> I think that he was speaking about businesses that were just kind of shutting up shop and they were just going to hold out, right? They had enough money in the bank to do that. But I think that might be one strategy for a lot of groups when it comes to just trying to get out on the trail and do work. Well, I think that's, you know, that's great, but it depends on the volume we've got on the trail. I mean, we get, yeah. we get a thousand, you know, a thousand, two thousand bikers a day coming out. I guess a lot of people are quote unquote working from home and are managing, yeah. and are managing to throw a ride in the middle of this thing. So yeah. it's always busy. So we have, uh, we're in a very wet area at the best of times. So we are constantly draining our trails and cleaning up mud and fixing stuff up. Uh, so we're trying to not uh, let this get too far out of control. Yeah, I think, for, and, and here it's, this is a, this is a trial run and we've set the expectation, I think pretty clearly thus far that um, with the forest service, with our board and with the community that we're going to, we're going to give this our best shot. And if we, if we see that it, we can't manage it safely, that we can't, you know, ensure a certain level of safety, 
then all right, we're not gonna we're not gonna host trail days for the rest of this year, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we we wanted to give it a good effort, and we're gonna give it a shot on Monday. And and uh, as I've said before, that did get a chuckle. We're, we're, we'll kind of see how it goes. And I don't say that nonchalantly. I mean, there's, there's, there are so many things. There are still blind spots. I think that mm. we, that we all have as we've learned today. And, and yeah. I, I hope that we've minimized those as much as possible, but you know, we feel like we owe it to, to give this a try and see if we can do this, this safely. I think we also have to be really honest with ourselves too, and be able to say, you know, yes or no, whether or not this thing is working. And if right. it's not working, be willing to shut it down. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, re, you know, remembering that it's, you know, safety first and all that kind of stuff. And we have to really look inside of ourselves and get past some wishful thinking and be honest with uh, how our approaches are working and how our workers are being treated and, and whether or not we think we can do this safely and, and be really upfront with everybody and say, this isn't, you know, we're trying to do our best. And if we have any inkling that this isn't working to be, you know, to with, to do without hesitation and shut the thing down. Yeah, that's that's really well said. Uh, does anybody else have any final thoughts before we wrap things up? I think this is very local. You know, this is not spread evenly throughout the country, the continent, you know, or the world. And um, if you're in a community that's got a lot of COVID right now, you're going to have a different response to communities like mine that it has has been very successful at flattening the curve to a point where um, we can um, start up businesses. Um, and, and so far it's been, cases have been increasing, but not as bad as they had feared. So, you know, keep an eye on it and do what you can. Well, thank you everybody for taking the time to chat. I think this is a, a really constructive conversation to, to have and, and it's given me a lot to think about and uh, I'm excited to kind of go forwards with it. So thank you all. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. This episode of the podcast was recorded on the traditional territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, Musqueam and Stolo Nations. My guests join me from the traditional territory of the Stony Nakoda, the Sutina, the Tunaha, the Siksika, the Shoshone Bannock, Eastern Shoshone, Cheyenne, and the Denai Na. If you're curious to learn more about the traditional territory that you occupy and recreate in, then visit native-lands.ca. Big thanks to all of my guests. For me, the biggest takeaway from this discussion were just simply starting small. And maybe even beginning with a pilot trail day that includes some of those super volunteers we all have. The other one that I liked was color coding the tools. That's a fantastic piece of advice. Let me know if you have any suggestions. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can also join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB. And you can send me an email or audio file to info at FrontlinesMTB.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, along with a link to the Frontline's MTB Book Club, where a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. In the show notes, you'll also find links to each of my guests' organizations. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, Tool for Trails. Visit toolsfortrails.com for more information. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevear. Production notes by Jennifer Bride. 
artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher Watson and BGW Creative. And a big thanks to Ben Wellneck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and Black Lives Matter. <laughs>